chapter 21 of Revelation is probably one of my favorite sections in all the Bible. I'll tell you why. It takes me back a long ways. <clears throat> I find myself sitting in a Sunday school classroom. And uh, how many of you have ever taught Sunday school? Any of you guys? Okay, so you guys know the story. Um, my grandma was, was probably one of the first people that spent really good time with me, uh, gave me my first Bible commentaries. Uh, my first Bible, an old King James Bible, came from grandma. And uh, she was a Sunday school, she was a Baptist Sunday school teacher. Back in the day, she actually taught Bill Clinton's parents um, back in, in, in her days in Arkansas. So takes me back a ways. So I find myself sitting in a Sunday school classroom, <clears throat> and um, I had just read these words in the book of Revelation. And I raised my hand, and you guys know when a kid raises their hand, that could be bad, right? Um, and I just, the teacher looked at me and said, yes, Luke. And I said, um, could you tell us about the new earth? And the teacher froze. And uh, the teacher said, what are you talking about? And I said, the new earth that we're going to live on. Can you tell us about the new earth? And the teacher says, I don't know what you're talking about. We're going to live in heaven. And I said, um, but the Bible talks about the new earth. And she says, um, we'll get to that some other time. <laughs> yeah, translated... Yeah, thank you for your thought, but we're not going to talk about that, right? You know, growing up in the church as a kid, I, I go back in my mind, I think about, uh, we talked a lot about heaven. I mean, you start early as a kid. I, I grew up in the era where you, you prayed that beautiful prayer, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, if I should die before I wake. Well, now they've changed it because they don't want to scare the kids. I think it's something like now, what is it? Yeah, keep me through the light or the night or the what? Give me a night light to keep me through the whatever it is. I think you're not going to scare the kids. I'm like, come on, guys, scare the kids. It's okay. No, um, actually, I'm glad that we had that because um, I think sometimes we think, well, we shouldn't scare the kids, and, and and we end up not really being able to teach the kids. And it does make you at some point along the way, after you've said this prayer a thousand times, you actually stop and go, wait a minute, what did I just say? Die? Um, what happens to you when you die? And I, I mean, I grew up in the church in a, in a day and time where we talked a lot about, well, here's what happens when you die. Your, your body gets put into a grave and your soul goes to heaven. And of course, growing up in the church, I've gone to um, many funerals and Sunday school classes where we talk about heaven. And we talk about heaven as a wonderful, beautiful place. And uh, typically, when I listen to people talk about heaven, what we're doing is we're transferring to heaven a lot of what we have here, here on earth. Things that we like here on earth, we kind of transfer in our minds to, to heaven, right? So people will talk about heaven like that. They'll say, well, when you get to heaven, you're going to love it. Because in heaven, um, when you golf, uh, every time you hit the ball, it's a hole in one. I'm like, well, what fun would that be? I mean, come on, that's not going to be fun. 
Um, when you go fishing in heaven, you know, whatever you really want to fish, you think, just think about it and you'll catch it. I'm like, really? That's what heaven is like? Yep, that's what heaven is like. When you're in heaven, listen, the Cornhuskers win every game. <laughs> They're undefeated, right? And I'm like, oh, my goodness gracious, that's heaven. Uh, but we kind of do that. And, and, you know, you go to a funeral. And, I mean, I understand what we're trying to do with our language. We'll say things like, well, he's in such a much better place. You know, he loved, he loved baseball. He loved the baseball. Now he's getting to watch the baseball games. And I think, well, is any of that in the Bible? And what about this new earth? And so over my years, uh, what I've come to, to appreciate is the fact that when we talk about heaven, sometimes we get it mixed up in our minds with eternity. And, um, you know, one of these days we'll have to just do a real thorough study of, of just heaven, and we'll get into that a little bit in, in the um, um, next chapter here. But the reality is, when you think about heaven, there's, a, there's some things described for us about it, but not a lot, okay? Uh, definitively, heaven is, is not your forever home. It's not where you'll spend eternity, okay? Um, heaven is intermediary. So we would say right now, I would say, where is your, Luke, where is your mom and your dad? Well, I could say they are in heaven. They are in the presence of God. Uh, they are souls. Uh, we can say that the souls seem to have the ability to recognize one another. In other words, even though we have no bodies in heaven, there, there's a sense in which there's a still a physical recognition of the, the person, all right? Um, so we're bodiless souls in the presence of God. Uh, we can say that um, we have joined God in his heart. Um, what God is doing right now is seeking after people who don't know him to bring, him, bring them to himself. And we join God in that. Uh, we see the martyred souls, right? We've seen them throughout the book of Revelation. They've played a major role. They've been the voice that cries out, how long, God, until you, you bring vengeance upon our blood, the blood spilt in your name. Um, but heaven is not a forever existence. Um, why? Because uh, new earth is. And so as we get into this, this uh, chapter, what I want to do is just kind of play out for you the reality that as you go through the Bible, new earth is spoken about a number of times, but most of us don't know that. We've just grown up thinking about, I die and I go to heaven and I live in heaven forever. And so this idea of a new earth is fascinatingly to me, for a lot of Christians, a new thought. Um, I like it because it, it has some connotations to it that are, are helpful to me. Um, and I think you'll find them helpful as well. So as we go through chapter 21, um, we'll kind of try to uh, stop along the way and look back at some scriptures that have, um, you, you've seen them before, you've looked at them before, they kind of point to what this new earth is like. Uh, I, I would say that what new earth and heaven have in common in the Bible is the reality that we're still trying to describe uh, spirit, spiritual realities with with human language and with bound minds. So when God gives us the Bible, 
He's trying to help us understand who he is, what it means to, to trust in him, what it means to live in him and walk in him. But he really wants you to see your life today in light of what your life forever will be. Okay? Uh, I tell people, your life today is bam. It's a, fl it's a flash. And so while we get all caught up in our world and thinking about, oh, what am I going to do and what mark am I going to make and what job should I have and all that stuff, I'm like, you know what? Your, your life here is just, is, this isn't your life. This is just a, a little tiny, 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 tiny fraction of it. Where you're going to live the rest of your life is in eternity with God uh, on a physical new earth. And so begin to think about that. How does that change the way that I live today? How does that make a difference for me? So as we go through chapter 21, we'll keep that in mind. We'll keep in mind that we can't fully appreciate in, in a holistic way what this new earth will be like. We can't. Because again, our minds are bound by human language. Uh, so we'll just recognize that up front. All right, how does chapter 21 start off? It's a very simple language. Uh, John says, we, remember what we've seen? We've seen the defeat of the enemies of God, right? The defeat of the beasts, the defeat of Satan. And finally, at the very end of chapter 20, death, which is the last enemy, right? Um, death, death came and took, Jim, home, death itself is taken by God and thrown into the lake of fire forever, right? And now eternity begins. So what does it look like? Well, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Let's kind of come through that just a little bit. Um, a few thoughts and then I'm going to take you through a journey of scripture and show you that. This, this should not really be new, a new thought to us. First of all, a new heaven. The word that's used here in Greek is the term uranos, which uh, refers to um, our atmosphere, our universe, the solar systems that exist around our universe. What we would look up in the sky and we would say, there, there are the heavens, okay? Um, not being referred to here is that place that we typically call heaven, uh, where mom and dad and souls are. So when it says, I see a new earth and a new heaven, he's saying, I'm seeing a new physical earth, and I'm seeing a new, what? Atmosphere. I'm seeing a new universe. All right? Um, that's what I'm seeing. Why? Because the first, the first heaven, the universe, and the first earth have passed away. Um, what, we'll, what we'll make note of is they didn't just pass away. It's not like they just fell out of the sky or something. But they are burned up, right? They're destroyed by God. Uh, it actually takes us all the way back to uh, creation. And the reality that when Adam and Eve sinned against God, what was broken at that moment was the relationship that they had with God. And now in the curse, what is broken is the whole of the earth and all that we know in life today. It's broken. All of it is broken. And so it doesn't work the way that it should work. And what God is saying is there, when, when it comes to the very end, I take what is broken and I burn it up. And I'm going to replace it now with a new earth and a new heavens so that we have a place to live 
it's kind of a return, if you will, or a restoration of what we might call the, 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 the Eden Earth. Okay? I kind of like that, and I'll tell you why. You don't need snowblowers. Look, Adam and Eve didn't have clothes, guys, right? So the weather was not exactly like, like it is today, right? You didn't age. Adam and Eve didn't age. They were meant to live forever. That was the design of God. Um, we, we have a relationship between men and the creatures of God that is what? Is at peace, right? And between the beasts and themselves, that is at peace. There's unity on earth. And so what John is seeing is really the ultimate restoration of what was prior to the fall of man in the garden. And so he says, it's passed away. The old is. It's burnt up um, and is no more. The second thing he says is, there's no sea. I don't see a sea, right? And that's kind of tripped people up over the years. Um, is this new creation, this new earth that we are going to live on, is it, is it without any bodies of water? Okay. This is debatable, and it's kind of interesting amongst theologians. There are some who would say and argue that the, the new earth is, is without any bodies of water. Okay. Um, I tend to, to disagree with that and move closer to what a lot of commentators have said. Here, here, here's where a lot of commentators lay, is that the sea that's being referred to here is, is always being referred to symbolically. Because throughout the Old Testament, the idea of the sea has always represented um, that place of darkness and evil, of death, right? And so early on, uh, what a lot of commentators are suggesting, and I tend to agree with this, is that when John is seeing this, this new earth, it's sealess. I mean, he's seeing it, doesn't have a sea on it, but it's being shown to him that way for a reason. To, to symbolically say to him that there is no place of darkness, there's no place of death, there's no place of evil, uh, there's no place for sin on this new earth that we'll have. The reason I tend to move in that direction is because um, the first earth that was created by God and created perfectly was created with what? With bodies of water, right? And the fish that swim in them and the, the creatures of the sea. So with restoration... I think that's true, that you'll have still bodies of water and those creatures within them. But John is being shown that picture of this new earth to signify to him, in this new earth, there, there is no darkness, no place of, of, of death. There's no evil. And that will be explicitly said to him as we continue to move throughout this. Now, question for you. <clears throat> Does all this sound odd to you? Is it kind of new to you? Am I, I'm kind of right, aren't I? We kind of grew up in, the, in a world where we thought, hey, when you die, you do what? You go to? All good dogs go to heaven, right? And we live in heaven forever. And so, you know, one of the questions I get asked by people is, well, are you sure? I mean, is that, I mean, is this all just, there's going to be a new earth? Well, the, the interesting thing is this idea of a new earth and the new universe isn't, really exclusive to the book of Revelation. The fun thing is, as you go through the Bible, if you're paying attention, 
you're going to find out that, oh, this has actually been something that we've been being told about from even before the time of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to take you on a little bit of a tour. Uh, I won't go to every reference, but just to a couple of them that I think fit what we're talking about here. The first you're going to find in the book of Isaiah. So turn to chapter 65, okay? And did you know that when you're reading Isaiah 65, you're reading about this exact thing, this, this new heaven and this new earth that God uh, intended? I'm going to begin with verse number 8 and kind of make my way through uh, just a little bit. So bear with me and follow along. Some parts of it I'm going to move through quickly and other parts I'll slow down on. Um, this, is this, this is this picture that God gives to Isaiah Remember, this is 700 years before Jesus Christ, all right? 700 years before Jesus Christ, this idea of a new heaven and a new earth is spoken to uh, through the prophet. Uh, beginning with verse number 8, this is Isaiah 65, um, the prophet is, is trying to say to Israel that, that God is going to, to take his enemies and destroy them, and he is going to, to give to his people, Israel, this new land to live on, all right? So in verse 8, he says, thus says the Lord, as, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and they say, do not destroy it, for there is blessing in it, so I will do for my servant's sake and not destroy them all. It's kind of an interesting um, verse of scripture. What does it mean, by the way, that beginning? It's kind of interesting. As the new wine is found in the cluster and they say do not destroy it um you know there's a just saw this on on uh you ever watch that show 60 minutes there's a vineyard in italy that has been in business since the 1300s and uh still in business today and i think about that i'm like martin luther might have ordered some wine you know from that from that very vineyard and it's family run and it's family owned. And when you go into it and you see these beautiful, beautiful grapes that are being turned into uh, wine, aren't you glad you're not Baptist? Praise, praise God. You can actually have that wine, right? Well, what he's saying is a lot of times what will happen is in a vineyard, if you clip, the, clip a cluster of grapes, they'll look bad. And so they'll throw them out. Can't use them for wine. But sometimes they'll say, clip it. But there's enough good grapes in it that you shouldn't throw it out and destroy it. Go ahead and use it because we'll extract enough juice out of it that it's, it's usable. What, is, what he's saying here is that there's, there's new wine found in the cluster. He's talking about Israel. And what's going on is Israel has been a bad bunch of grapes, right? They're rotten grapes. They're not producing anything, okay? And uh, I think of the church today. To be honest with you, I do. I think of the church today, and I think, okay, if we're if we are a vine of grapes, what actually is it we're supposed to be producing? What's the juice? It's what it's it's people who come come into faith, right? So if we look at the church today, are we a good group, good batch of grapes, or not so good batch of grapes? Actually, I think God would say, um, this, this bunch of grapes right here ain't looking too good, right? It's an unhealthy batch of grapes. 
And yet, here's the grace of God. He looks at Israel and he says, I'm not going to destroy all of them because there's still wine in them. The fun thing about the Bible is there's always this remnant of people that God continues to work through, despite the fact that the church itself becomes rotten to the core. There's people that God says, these folks trust me, believe me, and I'm working through them. There's wine. There's wine in them hills, right? So don't destroy uh, the whole thing. He then goes on to say in verse 9, I will bring forth offspring from Jacob. Okay, there's, there, out, of, out of those remnant are going to come some who come to believe in me. That's my offspring. Uh, and from Judah, possessors of my mountains. Okay, so even in the worst of historical times, when Israel is apostate, remember God is still at work through his body bringing people into faith who become possessors of his mountains, the ones who will, who will fill up my land. He says, they are my chosen and they shall possess it. My servants, they will dwell there. And I love this imagery in verse 10. Sharon shall become a pasture for flocks and the valley of a core, a place for herds to lie down for my people who have sought me. It's a very physical picture, okay, of earth and of Israel itself. And we read it and don't get it, but if you could look at a map of Israel at the time that Isaiah is speaking these words, what you'll find is that Sharon and the Valley of Accor are on opposite sides of Israel. And so what he's really saying is, um, my, my good grapes are at work, right? They're producing fruit, people who come to know me, who will possess my land from the top to the bottom. They're going to have all of it, okay? Now, he is speaking physically to Israel at this point. Um, I'm going to use a phrase that I've used before, and I, and I think you'll get it. In the Bible, there's the now and the not yet, okay? So when God is prophetically addressing his people, he's addressing them in both ways, the now and the not yet. What he's saying here is in the now... There's coming a time for the sake of the elect when I will restore Israel from your apostasy because I'm going to continue through Israel to work to bring other people into faith in me. Okay? That same thing is true right now, today. You are Israel. You're the grapes. And God looks at us and he says, it's through you my grapes, that I bring people into faith with me. And we look at the church and we say, well, God, you've got a bad bunch of grapes. He says, it doesn't matter. I'm at work through it. And, and the people who come to know me are possessors of Israel from top to bottom. They're possessors of all of my promises from the very top to the very bottom. Okay, that's the now. But I want to point you forward to something even more important. Why, why is it important for people to come into a relationship with me? Because the now is going to pass quickly. The whole of history is going to pass quickly. And there's coming a time when I want to give to those who follow me a place to live, a land. And as much as this land he's talking about in these opening verses is physical, the new earth that I'm going to give you, it's a physical earth that you're going to live on. And Isaiah points to that new earth. Go ahead and skip ahead 
to verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. There it is again. Okay. So when I'm reading the Revelation, I think, what? What's that new earth? When I was a kid and raised my hand in Sunday school class and said, what's the new earth? And the teacher said, you're, you're a lunatic. You know, go away. It's right here. It's been in the Bible the whole time. But we don't necessarily see it. Now, notice some of the language he uses. For the former things shall not be remembered or even come into mind. On the new earth, you're, you begin to live in eternity. Your whole, the whole of your life from before, not even significant to you. Not even remembered. He says, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. Okay? Um, my new earth will be the new Jerusalem. Okay? So, um, whenever I say that, I always stop and, and remind people that the word Jerusalem is significant in and of itself. It's two Hebrew words put together. Jeru is equated with the Hebrew word, what? Yahweh. Shalom, Salam, is equated with the Hebrew word, Shalom. Okay? When you put them together, every time you say Jerusalem, here's what you're really saying, Yahweh Shalom. You're saying, God, Yahweh, the creator, is my peace. Every time you say the word Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem, whenever you hear that phrase used, is the new earth, where God is your peace. And there is peace that will be lived out on this earth, both in relationship with him, with one another, and with all of his creation. And so Isaiah is pointing forward to that, that new creation. Some kind of hard words to understand are these next words. He says, no more shall there be in it, verse 20, an infant who lives but a few days. Or an old man who does not fill out his days. Uh, what's he talking about? He's saying this, this, the, the pain of death stings the most for us as human beings when a little infant <coughs> dies. Right? Um, no question about it in, in all, all of my years of ministry. Those are just such hard funerals that we get to and we have all the hope and expectation for a new little one and the little one either comes into the world and is not breathing or very quickly goes and we think, oh God, why, why this little one? Take, take one of us, take an oldie, you know, but let the little ones live. Paint. He says, no more. Okay? No more the old man who does not fill out his days. You know, when we look at, when we look at people... Um, I, I get it. My, my folks died fairly young. And people will say, well, you're, you know your dad. He never got to see this. He never got to see this. Your mom never really got to see it. I think that's, that's true. Is there pain in that for you? Yeah, there is. There's pain in that, earthly pain in that. Um, because I think, boy, it would have been nice if, if, uh, if cancer wouldn't have come when it did, if you would have been able to live out those years and we, we'd have had some, some relationship. But, but no, that didn't happen. So that, there's that pain. And what Isaiah is already saying is in, in that new earth, that doesn't 
exist. The, the infant doesn't die. Um, the, um, the pain of, of life that we see when an, an older person doesn't live out their life, that doesn't happen. Kind of note underneath this, physical earth. Infants are being born. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? It's not what you had in mind when you thought about heaven. But already at the time, 700 years before Jesus Christ, Isaiah is prophesying and saying, here's what God is at work creating. A little bit tougher to, to understand is this, for the, old, for the young man shall die 100 years old and the sinner 100 years old shall, shall be accursed. Okay? What makes it hard for us to understand is if, if you read this in English, you'll get it wrong. If you read it in Hebrew, you'll get it right. For the young man shall die Ten tens. A sinner, ten tens shall be accursed. Okay? What's ten tens? What is it? It's a thousand, right? So what we're saying is that um, someone who is, is young shall really what? Not die. They 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 Die ten tens means there is there isn't a death for them. They go on. Um, a way that the Hebrew would say it is if a young man should live ten tens. That's how the Hebrew would say it. So it's pointing to this idea that when you're on this new earth, there is no death. But for the sinner, the same thing is true. They they have they have not death, but they have an eternity of being separated from God. That section is a little bit tougher uh, to, to read. Verse 21, they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit it or plant and another uh, eat. I wonder if we'll have sweet corn on the new earth. See what I'm talking about? There's a physicality to it. Um, now, I mean, can our human minds grasp this fully? No, but there's a physicality to it. Um, I still remember a number of years ago, I had a, a guy that I was just, uh, God had put in my life. He's an atheist. And, um, and yet he was an atheist that, that really was, was, I mean, the spirit of God was wrestling in him. And I remember him meeting him and him saying to me, you know what, I really, I want what you have. He says, I see you and your confidence and what you're just, you just living out your life like you know where you're going to be. And I'm like, I do know where I'm going to be. I'm going to be on new earth. And so this guy says to me, he goes, well, would you walk with me a little bit? And I've got lots of questions. And so he'd ask his questions. And we, I would give him stuff and we'd look at it together. And we'd, this went on for about two full years. And I still remember him coming to me one day. He goes, he says, I just, I can't, I want to be able to tell you that I believe and I trust like you do, but I don't. He says, I really don't. He says, I just am struggling with it. He says, but, I says, I got one more question for you. He says, is there another choice? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, you got, you got heaven. And he says, um, and you got hell. He says, I know I don't want to be in hell. I said, Good. I mean, in two years, you figured out you don't want to be in hell. I said, that's a good thing. He goes, but I don't want to be in heaven either. I'm like, why not? 
He goes, well, I don't want to play some stinking harp on a cloud for like eh, the rest of my whole life. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's go, he goes, well, that's what they say. It's heaven. He's up, there's my grandma playing a harp up there. And I'm like, no, you're not going to be sitting on a cloud playing a harp. There's a new earth. There is. I said, yeah, there's a physicality to it. There's babies being born. There's planting that's going on. There's eating, right? There's a physicality uh, to it. They build houses and they inhabit them. Um, I, to me, it's just a beautiful word from Isaiah. Um, what does he say? The, they, they, the days of the people shall be like a tree um, that has been planted, right? Um, my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They'll not labor in vain. That's what labor is today. You know what vanity is, right? This is, this is how Solomon described vanity. He says, what do you have left? He says, at the end of your life, when you look back on all of it and everything that you've done, that's what's left of it. And yet this week, you'll go to work. You'll set your calendar. You'll think to yourself, I've got to get this done. This is, everything will be very important to you. You do realize, don't you, that after all of it's done, that's its meaning, right? That's vanity. And so he's saying, when you labor on new earth, it is not in vain. It is not for emptiness. There is a sense in it that this is Good. The same sense that Adam and Eve, by the way, enjoyed prior to the fall. This is good. Their labor was not in vain. It was in and with and inside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, um, the offspring of them will be blessed in the Lord. Their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they're yet speaking, I will hear. Notice the intimacy between human beings and God. Don't even have to call out. And God says, I'll hear. I sense what you're saying even as you're speaking. At Christmas time, uh, many of you have bought Isaiah kinds of, of ornaments, right? Uh, here, he says, the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. Um, animals, it's believed, in the pre-diluvian world, the pre-fall world, were vegetarians. The wolf is eating, what? Forage, not physical meat, okay? So there's a, an intimacy and a unity amongst even the creatures. When you buy that Isaiah ornament, you know, for your Christmas tea, it's usually the, the lion and the lamb. They shall lie down together. The two enemies with one another will be at peace with each other. By the way, I'll tell this story before I close. Um, real, real fun. Easter uh, Sunday, this pastor in Texas, um, Ed Young, just known for his creativity, decides, decides to get a lion and a lamb for his Easter sermon. And he puts them in cages next to each other. And his whole point is to try to demonstrate that 
as we go towards eternity, this is, the, this is the example that we get the lion and the lamb shall lay down together. What he forgot is we're actually not in eternity right now. And lions and lambs aren't, lambs don't like, they don't like lions. So his whole sermon sounded like this. <laughs> you want a recording of a great Easter sermon? <laughs> it didn't work. And I'm like, Mr. Creative, check it out. <laughs> it didn't work. The creative God says they will lie down together. Let's stop there. But what I want you to see is seven, can you start to see this? 700 years before Jesus Christ ever was born, you already have a prophet that's saying, here's where it's all going. It's all heading towards an eternity with God on a physical new earth. We'll pick that up next week. Let's pray. Lord.